This is Kamkunji, a podcast series by Errant Praxis. I'm Patiana Hori, hailing from Praia Cabo Verde. Today I'll be speaking with Mabel Wilson in New York City. Good morning, Mabel. Good morning, Patti. Okay, I'm going to give a brief uh, bio on Mabel. Mabel is Professor of Architecture at Columbia University, Co-Director of Global Africa Lab, and Associate Director at the Institute for Research in African American Studies. She's trained as an architect and holds a PhD in American Studies from NYU. The title of our conversation today is On Imagining New Black Institutions. Thank you for joining me, Mabel. My pleasure. Your research deals with, among many other things, the racialized legacies and politics of the discipline of architecture and the built environment by default, right? Implicit and complicit in this are the various structures that support this, ideological, theoretical, regulatory, procedural, etc. Uh, let me refer to them as institutions. And specifically in your book, Begin with the Past, Building the National Museum of African American History and Culture, uh, which traces the journey of building the museum in all its aspects, it's from its conception to its organization, content to its built manifestation. So I'll start by asking you to speak um, about that book, about writing that book and having that experience. Focusing on the complexities and entanglements of creating a new institution, in this case a museum, to accommodate, you know, knowledge that's been excised and the production of histories that have been uh, mostly ignored. And perhaps you could speak a little bit about the concerns relating to the institutionalization, let's say, of such complex histories and content. Um, I th yeah, I think this um, is a really great question in, in, in many ways, and I'll try to untangle <laughs> the, <laughs> the many entanglements that you speak of. Um, I think on many levels we have to consider, you know, it's a national museum. So that already is a coupling of two things, the history of the United States as a modern nation state, And then the history of a museum and the work that it does. So how do those two things come together to produce um, narratives about national identity? But we can also think about the fact that the museum also sits within a city, Washington, D.C., which has its own complex um, histories around its formation um, and um, As the, as, the capitals, as the capital city, um, and then architecture. Um, and what does it mean to, to build, and then who has the power to build? Um, and so I would say sort of all of those four things are entangled together um, in, in the institution. And so it's been um, sort of the question around sort of histories and the built environment and race has really shaped a lot of the work I've done, both as a scholar and also as an architectural designer. Great, thank you. As I've mentioned to you before, this errant praxis experimentation, let's call it, 
uh, wants to engage various people who have been addressing the issues specifically of institutions and the role and the architecture as an institution itself, the discipline and the practice, the profession, uh, the buildings, like you say, the cities, um, and how this is all entangled in histories, racialized histories, as you have written so well and extensively about. And especially this is a group, uh, it's an initiative of uh, uh, creatives and architects and in the African continent. And we also are dealing with how do we engage in conversation with a lot of institutions that have the legacies of colonialism, the profession, and, and even our education in the diaspora, most of us involved in this, in this initiative, who have studied abroad and, and also had to deal with academia and the institution of uh, academia and knowledge systems, which did not take into consideration our context, our histories. So, so we are thinking, how can we imagine these structures of support, because they are structures of support, um, in new formats, in new ways, without falling back into the same traps of established institutionalization. Is there a possibility of real independent institutions? Do, is that even a possibility? I think, um, I, I mean, I think the, 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 the question is when one institutes it's in, in, in relationship, in relationship to what? And so um, it might be helpful to sort of unpack a little bit more what I was saying about the sort of entanglements of nation and museum um, and then that sort of coupling with city and architecture. And I think that can be very instructive for, um, you know, how to think about new institutions. Um, and so the Smithsonian's actually a really great example of um, an institution that was dedicated to the collection and dissemination of knowledge. That was its founding um, mission. Um, which came from monies from a white Englishman who left the United monies to the United States government to set up some sort of institution um, of study. And so um, politicians and scientists decided that they would set up this institution that would uh, gather knowledge in the emerging, uh, let's say, sciences, um, the arts, um, and then uh, present them back to the public, both as publications and as exhibitions. So that's, that's kind of how the Smithsonian came into being. So it's not just a, it's a museum, but it also has this huge study part. Um, in my current project that I'm working on, Building Race and Nation, I, I look at the Smithsonian as a perfect example for how race gets institutionalized as part of nation formation. And I'm trying to sort of make the argument that the Smithsonian becomes an institution to both scientifically establish why the white race is superior to other races of, of indigenous populations, uh, Africans, the Negro, and Asians, um, and why and and and. and 
come up with representations to present to citizenry, predominantly, of course, white in the United States, about what that uh, would look like. So, you know, one of their first projects as an institution were a bunch of ethnologists who become anthropologists. They start collecting Native American artifacts. So as um, the American military moves westward, they're literally scientists, illustrators, artists traveling with these parties who are um, scoping out land for white colonial settlement, as well as to run um, telegraph lines and railroads westward. So it's manifest destiny and expansion westward. And so as they're fighting with different indigenous people, they're collecting artifacts like crazy. Um, and so that starts to give a narrative of these people are dying out, they're primitive, um, and we have a right to claim their land and their resources and the logics of manifest destiny. So it becomes not only a scientific project, but a nation building project and one that then gets represented in paintings and, and publications and um, scientific you know, manuals that get circulated widely to academic institutions. Um, but also part and parcel of the Smithsonian is they have to build a building. And part of that building somehow has to be functional so that it can have laboratories and exhibitions, spaces, museum spaces, galleries. So it's a new kind of modern institution. So the Smithsonian, in a way, sort of sets the bar for modern museums, but one that's inherently racialized. A lot of the um, labor at the time used to do construction is enslaved labor, because this is Washington, D.C. It's a city built by slaves. Um, and so the entanglements of race and institutional formation are really evident in, in the example of the Smithsonian. So, you know, go 150 years later, and, you know, the, the new African-American museum um, is slated to be built and open, Lonnie Bunch, the director, has a huge problem because the Smithsonian never really collected artifacts from uh, black peoples because we were inferior and we had no culture or no civilization, to use the terms that, that Hegel would describe. We're too in the moment and have no historical consciousness. So the remarkable thing, and this is part of what I um, document in, in uh, Begin With the Past, um, is the struggle for over 100 years for um, blacks in America to lay claim that it actually had contributed to the, na to the nation, right? It has a historical consciousness. This is the work of W.B. Du Bois, mm -hmm. um, and that, that black people you know, who are citizens are Americans. And um, that, 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 that project is really um, one that, that, that um, Bunch takes on. So not only does he have to build a building, but he has to build a collection. When Lonnie Bunch has to build the African American um, Museum, he not only has to build a building on the National Mall in an, in an area that was in the 18... 20s to the 1850s, a site of slave trading, slave pens, slave jail. Some of the most prominent and successful uh, slave traders actually worked out of that area where the National Mall now is. So even the city has this incredible history of enslavement. Um, and so when he's going to build a museum, he also has to construct the collection because the Smithsonian 
really did not start collecting artifacts from African Americans until the 1960s, 1970s, and so the collection was very small. When you come to Native Americans, because the project was to collect a dying race, shall we say, um, they had so much materials that indigenous groups had to ask for that back, and that's what became the uh, Museum of the Native American as part of Smithsonian. So as an institution, the museum is already built on um, ide ideologies of race that then reinforce national, national identity. And what's fascinating, when um, Lonnie Bunch decided that he wanted to do a building, he really was explicit about it. he wanted a dark presence on the National Mall. So a building that could speak about um, blackness clearly within a pantheon of institutions that were about, you know, collecting and elevating whiteness. Um, and so it becomes a kind of institutional project of repair, um, reparations, um, but also one that sort of um, roped in architecture as part of, of that project. But of course, we could say that architecture in and of itself, as you mentioned, uh, is also an institution, uh, as you described, you know, your educational experiences and, and, and those of your friends, you know, the education of the architect is also racialized, it's institutionalized, as is the profession. That is also institutionalized by professional organizations and licensure. Uh, and those two are um, enmeshed in histories of racial discrimination and white supremacy. So all of these things work together um, as, as, as um, entanglements. And so, you know, how, how we start to pull those threads and I think construct new institutions are really complicated. have been quite an active interlocutor here on the African continent uh, with your Africa Studio Lab. I mean, did I say it correctly? It's the it's, Africa uh, Lab. Global Africa Lab. So I would like to, to ask you a little bit about how had the, had that experience has been, you know, working in these two contexts that are so uh, intrinsically related, right? Uh, um, Africa and Africa America and also as we are uh, questioning or thinking and all involved in in this double act of deconstructing or rereading and exposing the entanglements of inherited institutions but also actively building new ones how do you see uh, this dialogue between um, America, and here I emphasize Africa-America, uh, and the African continent and our, our dual and not even dual struggles, our same kind of uh, sisterhood, let's say brotherhood of struggles within this constructing, deconstructing, building, rebuilding. When Marvin and I started, um, uh, we wanted to um, was engage critically with the uh, questions around the histories of colonialism and the formation of the African diaspora. Um, so to think sort of expansively about blackness and think about that geography as one of comings and goings, a, a sort of black Atlantic uh, framework um, 
that allowed us to sort of think about um, what kinds of exchanges are, are possible and what kinds of imaginaries one could conceptualize uh, through the built environment. Um, and so that became a really important uh, project. And part of what we, we wanted to be critical of in particular was the ways in which when in architecture one would say Africa, one often would speak about it almost as if it were a country. Mm -hmm. African of Africa clearly reflected already the tropes of blackness that had been clearly applied. The same thing could be said to African-American uh, communities, to ghettos, um, uh, to why this was necessary to be formed and had kind of unpacked the ways that architects were looking at the continent, and I still get inquiries about um, from clearly well-meaning people who are working through NGOs, but I think doing cool. um, working perhaps on housing, but not thinking about the long-term impact of colonialism in those sites and in those conditions, and the kinds of histories that have shaped our you know, sort of engages with Africa and the larger diaspora. And so, you know, part of what we do with gals, you know, kind of uh, diachronically, right, and think about those histories of racial capital, of which architecture was clearly one agent that built networks of, of extraction and exploitation. Um, and to sort of then think about and the ways in which, like in cities like Johannesburg, or, Dakar or Salvador or Rio or Detroit or New York City, what black imaginaries could mean in terms of how black peoples were thinking about their elsewheres and their otherwise, how they see themselves in, in time and space, which is a, you know, I think a really important thematic of the exhibition that you and I were both in called African Mobilities Curated by, by Impoem at SIPA. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you, you touched on a lot of very important things and just kind of, you know, global, also our search for this uh, black imaginaries and, and thinking of it uh, in its uh, uh, necessity and in its potential for really being transformative. It's interesting, this idea of, of um, Africa as a country, you know, that, that is a view from the outside in. So when you're asked to, to participate in, in platforms of global discussion, say in the discipline of architecture, uh, conferences, exhibitions, uh, that are not curated specifically or critically to deal with this, then you, you know, as a curator or as a speaker from the continent, um, how do you have this uh, dual sensation or this dual role of, yes, affirmation, you know, of, you know, a, a black imaginary, of an African imaginary, of, a, of the possibility of, of, of joining, you know, this greater discourse that is diasporic, at the same time that you are deconstructing this single view of, of the continent or of these uh, geographies, historical, cultural topographies, as Mario calls them also, um, of blackness. 
So, so it's this, you know, having the, the right to affirm, right? But at the same time, as you affirm this, this oneness, not that it's a oneness unitary and fixed, but this morphing and flexible and uh, very complex um, a historical connection and cultural connection, but at the same time that you're deconstructing this unitarian view of our context. Um, I, yeah, I think the word unitary is is right. I think there is a sense of a kind of um, mono, monolithic um, understanding of, you know, like Africa. Like people don't say Europe, they say France. Um, and so it's, um, I think it's a real, it's a, it's a problem um, in, in that sense. And it's, you know, partially a, an outcome of, of, the ways in which particularly as architects are training and in particular, let's say um, the historical, again, this question of the diachronic, the role of history in, in our education, that history written in the 19th century um, is particularly Euro Eurocentric. It's European focused. Um, it, um, you know, moves, to the United States, that becomes a kind of partial ally, um, but that becomes a sort of dominant um, uh, axis, the sort of Euro-American um, underpinnings of architectural discourse, and anything that sort of appears then appears as kind of other exotic that gets incorporated into. You can look at Lowe's for that. What is meant to be modern is understood as forward. It could also include certain kinds of whiteness that have not yet been incorporated into or absorbed into the cosmopolitan um, subject, right? That's that, that, um, critical for modernity. And so that's how, you know, those are the things that we... They have so, or you get, um, you know, uh, traditional or vernacular architectures, uh, but those then become kind of secondary, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a way in which it gets gets written out, and it's interesting to to start at this current moment that um, something that I started to look at, I don't know, 10, 10 12 years ago which was um, the legacies of colonialism and the ways in which modernism played an important role, particularly within the African continent, in the creation of uh, a kind of, or contribution to the canons of, of modernism, um, particularly, let's say, in uh, cities like Accra or Lagos or, you know, in, 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 in um, uh, cities around around the continent. But, you know, how we think about those buildings can't be disentangled from colonial projects of domination, of resource theft, of, um, you know, the colonial governmentality that put people in, in particular places, which had nothing to do with, with power. And I think the post-colonial moment clearly questioned it, but in many ways, post-coloniality also embrace the project of the modern, right, of becoming first world from third world. Um, and so I think that, that all of that residue of those sort of legacies are kind of what are still framing the ways in which um, um, uh, 
scholars, conferences, uh, architectural magazines, biennials, often approach the question of the African continent. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, for example, the um, uh, architectural um, biennial in Venice called, uh, I think it was called something space. I can't free remember. Space? Super space. Free space. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see everything, but I saw a fair amount of what was there. And there was almost no representation of black peoples, uh, black designers. Um, I mean, it was just stunningly absent. There was Amanda Williams' amazing work at the uh, American Pavilion, fantastic Dutch curator uh, at the Dutch Pavilion, um, uh, Amal, I'm totally blanking on her, <laughs> her last name. But, um, and then you would get glimpses here and there of black peoples, but you know, almost like nothing. And, and so it, it, you know, it's a kind of blind side and clearly people are out there because at the same time, African mobilities is being shown in Munich. So there are people doing work, but somehow they're invisible to the curators who are drawing together sort of the narratives around, uh, and, and the examples of contemporary, contemporary practice. And I think because the lexicon doesn't allow for, um, the kinds of practices, the kinds of projects that we're working on. Uh, it's already shut down. The terms are already white um, and uh, they are universal and people appropriate them and BNLs are, are, are certainly that, but they need to be challenged. And I, and I think one of the people that challenged the art BNL um, was uh, when Okoye and Weezer did um, Documenta, I think it was mm -hmm. doc Documenta mm -hmm. 7 or 9. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he did his platforms in different places, particularly in the, in the so-called global South, to, to put that platform where artists could engage in dialogues in, on their own terms, right? And that those terms then have to be uh, 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 um, incorporated or really expand and challenge <laughs> the, the, the terminology of, of the art world. And that, I wouldn't say has necessarily become like normative, but I think when I go to the Art Biennale in, in Venice, uh, Oquian, uh, and Weezer curated it, the late Oquian Weezer mm -hmm. curated it about, um, I don't know, five or six years ago. I mean, it was spectacular for its presence of blackness, Terry Adkins, Jonna Comfra. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it was just remarkable, that presence. But there's nothing comparable in, in, in design um, biennales, except maybe the Chicago Biennale, and particularly this year that might um, change for the Architecture Biennale in Chicago because the curator is... Um, um, a black person. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought in that into the discussion. I do think, and I agree with you, that the art world has seen uh, with Oki, of course, being the game changer, has seen more of um, incorporation and, and, and a serious kind of critical uh, involvement uh, and changing of, of the whole platform and how it functioned and the lexicon, as you said, which is an interesting thing, bringing in language and, and lexicon uh, as a metaphor, but as a strategy also. So I do, I do agree with you that the architecture and design world have not yet seen that kind of uh, 
transformation, beginning of a transformation in these kind of platforms. Um, and yes, um, we're all very excited about the Chicago Biennial. Um, and so, yes, I, I think that that's what we are trying to engage in this conversation with Aaron's is, yet what will it take uh, for these established platforms of biennales uh, around the world, specifically dealing with design and architecture, more, more specifically in urbanism, um, how, do, how to even begin to, to change that? Does it take a curator? Does it take an, a curator being invited? And yes, um, that is definitely, we see this happening um, would impose exhibit um, and and that was a, a fantastic uh, changing point. But what what can we do other than wait to be invited to participate or wait for for the, that curator to come along to to engage in this discussion and begin to change it? What other micro initiatives do we need? to begin to change this language, to begin to, to make the contribute towards a different narrative, to begin to, to run parallel to these uh, ongoing uh, spaces um, that, are, that have their fault lines, that have their extreme absences, you know? How do we imagine different types of platforms of validation and of uh, exchange is it uh, is it the curator figure um in terms of really um how to um move forward i i think it's actually finding spaces outside the institution like i i, I know like i think institutions to me always imply a kind of formality like there's a formal structure for you know how something is instituted it's a framework that then allows for um, longevity for people to come and go within the institution, but its mission um, uh, stays coherent. It, it evolves, but it can relatively stay coherent. And then institutions are often placed somewhere. Um, what I have found really remarkable, although it's, it's been challenging, that a lot of my um, black colleagues have chosen to find different spaces of creativity that are are outside of practice um, um, uh, that that has been you know certainly for for you know a lot of our, our say white people and is black in the world the question of wealth um, certainly becomes critical and the ability, particularly in today's market, to establish a practice and build clientele is connected to um, uh, how one gets access through uh, wealth. So I think we have to find other ways of working. I think people have uh, used artistic practice, um, used the route that artists have developed uh, to then do work about the built environment, not specifically about architecture. I want to get away from that term a little bit and talk about building because architecture is a European 
art of building. And I think people build all over the world and they have built way before Europeans invented the term that then universalized all building and turned it into architecture. Mm -hmm. So I think that they've been able to take um, techniques and methods and used various forms of artistic practice, um, scholarly platforms of writing, of, of, um, of teaching, of, to, to, of research to generate knowledge. Um, and so I, you know, I find that a lot of my black peers are people who work across multiple platforms, but that's also not unusual for, for example, black artists that you find, you know, black artists who often have a writing practice, they're teaching, um, they might do curatorial work, you know, they have their studio. So I, I think it's because the disciplinary boundaries of fields, of professions, of practices, can accommodate the capaciousness of blackness and the kinds of questions that we ask through our exploration of what that means as forms of representations around black space, um, black subjectivity. And so we become, I don't know, hybridized. We mm -hmm. become multivalent in, in, in how we work. And so, um, yeah, so there's a kind of stealth modality that we we come into institutions, use resources, use platforms, but then immediately shift elsewhere. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, um, Impo Metsipa likes to call it being a ninja. <laughs> Great. But that is, you know, that's kind of how, how you know, you work. You, you get in and you become the co, the invited, the, um, or you generate your own platform like a podcast or a web website project or... Um, yeah. And, and so I think it's, it's about a certain, maybe kind of entrepreneurial sensibility. Um, but you know, I would just say the brief is similar, you know, my, my uncle artist, John Allenbridge would just say it's the junk man. And it's just how we've always had to survive in a system that wasn't made for us. Mabel, that's brilliant. I like that. And I'm going to quote Paul since you've credited her. Thank you so much. I think you, we ended on a very positive and uh, acknowledging the fact that we are multivalent and we need to tap into that and uh, keep building. And the ninja uh, analogy is also great. I will thank you deeply uh, for your generosity in and sharing your work and, and your thoughts with us. Uh, you've always been quite a supported voice and uh, incredible um, researcher. So thank you, Mabel, so much for joining us. What's great about, platform, about podcasts is that people listen to them all over the world. So um, thank you for inviting me. Thank you.